Hey, this is The Mouth Off with Kyone Wolf, storytelling from the Mark Twain house. I'm Kyone Wolf. First up, we've got a story from Christine Caliphas. She's an instructor at Westport Writers Workshop and the author of the Connecticut-based memoir, Blueprint for Daylight, and an experimental poem of Lost Horses. Her story was from our April 2015 show, and the theme was Thrown for a Loop. So it's 2004, I'm 35 years old, and I'm a housewife who doesn't know her limits. I recently quit my job to stay home with my three little boys, and I really love them, but I really miss working. I miss getting dressed up. I miss making my own money. I miss delivering anything that isn't a baby. (laughs) And so when I'm at a party recently, and a woman sitting next to me is eating a piece of cake that I baked, and she says, this is really delicious. This homemade cake you made, you could totally do this for a business. And I grab onto that idea with both hands. I call up my advertising department, my cousin Allison, who is (laughs) heavily dialed into the mom network, and I'm a new member. The next day, I get a phone call. It's a woman named Debbie. And I find myself saying yes to everything. Yes to a cake for 50 people. Yes for tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> yes to a vanilla cake. And then I ask what I think is a really smart question, a professional question, what real cake bakers ask. Would you like a filling? <laughs> and she says, yes, we would love strawberry filling. And I think, that's fantastic. We can totally do that. I hang up the phone and I think, oh, what have I done? <laughs> Shit. (laughs) Well, I don't have any time to think because the party is tomorrow. So I go right to my cabinet and grab the cake flour because that's what real cake bakers do. And I didn't tell her, but I don't make homemade cakes. I make Duncan Hines. (laughs) I'm a cake fraud. (laughs) And now I'm really in trouble. But I grab the cake flour and I make a small little cake to see what's going to (laughs) happen. And it comes out like a pancake. So this is a three-layer cake for 50 people. So my backup plan (laughs) is Duncan Hines. (laughs) And this big round cake pan takes three cake mixes. And in case you've never used Duncan Hines butter recipe, it's a stick of butter for each cake mix and three eggs. I need nine cake mixes. So I get started. I I make up the cakes, and because I only have one of these cake pans, it takes me all night. And and I have finally three cakes cooling all over my house. There's one in the dining room. There's one in the living room. There's one in the kitchen. And then around 2 o'clock in the morning, I start making the strawberry filling, which I have no idea how to make. I assume because I have like 15 quarts of strawberries, I'm just going to cut them up and throw them in a pan and see what happens. And they start to burn, so I add some water. And then I think, you know, maybe sugar? Just kind of dump it in. I don't really measure it or anything, and I just stir it. And I'm really surprised when, you know, it doesn't look half bad. (laughs) It looks okay. And I just, 5 o'clock in the morning, just start spreading it on the layers because I've got to get this done, and I don't have time to taste it. So about 6 in the morning, I am, I slept for maybe a half an hour, I'm going to decorate, which is 
really the only part that I'm reasonably good at. And I get my canned frosting. <laughs> and, and just frost it. And you know, it looks pretty impressive. I, I, I can't believe I'm going to pull this off. And I put little rosebuds all around the top. It's a little baby girl christening. And then I realize this isn't just an emergency cake, but this is a performance cake. Everyone knows that a christening isn't about the baby, it's about the cake. And I'm going to be judged on this, so it better look good. And I remember that I have a silver filigree baby carriage a few inches high that is from my own kids that I'm basically just going to donate to this project because I'm not a professional cake baker and I'm just using stuff from my house. So... Uh, I put it on top, and it looks pretty good. I feel like it's ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to get this in my van. I get it to the car, and it's very heavy. It weighs about 50 pounds, and that's probably because it has nine sticks of butter and 27 eggs and, like, a pound of sugar. But I get it right behind the driver's seat behind, uh, in the van and start to make my way to the restaurant. And I'm one of those annoying people on the highway that's got their hazards on and is in the, like, passing lane. But I just need to get this done. I have frosting in my hair. I haven't slept. I just want to collect my $75, for which I'm totally in the hole. I've made no money on this at all. But I'm going to deliver the cake. So I get on the, I'm on the highway. I'm about to I see the restaurant from the exit ramp. And it's a left-hand exit. So as I start to turn the steering wheel, I see with that eye that all mothers have in the back of their heads, watching their children, I can feel the cake sliding toward the passenger door. And I don't think about it. I just grab the cake with my right hand like I would grab one of my toddlers and just hold it there. And I don't think about what I've done. It's just that it's all together, and I'm going to get this delivered. So I, I make it to the parking lot and park the car, and I have to remove my hand <laughs> covered in frosting and assess the damage. So I get out and open the passenger door, and it's all in one piece, but it's a mess. It's this filling kind of seeping out the side, and if I had known that strawberry filling was really cake lube, I might have, <laughs> I might have thought of a different idea. So I don't have a spatula, I don't have any extra frosting, but I have a credit card. <laughs> so I don't think about where my credit card has been. I don't think about where my fingers have been. I just use the credit card to smooth out the frosting all around the side. And you know, it's gonna have to do. So I make my way inside. And it's just as I suspected. As I enter the restaurant and I see the rickety little table they want me to put this enormous cake on, everyone that's around the baby suddenly leaves and flocks toward me. I'm a cake magnet. And I'm, I just they part so I can make it to the table. And I put the cake down. And I'm ready to get out of there. And any second, they're going to say, what kind of cake is this? This isn't homemade. And what did you frost it with, your fingers? <laughs> but all they say is, wow. And before I can interpret that, I'm out of there.
especially because I don't think the center is really cooked. So. <laughs> The next day, I get a phone call. It's Debbie. And she says, I just have to say, that cake that you baked, and my heart sinks into my stomach. And she says, it was delicious. <laughs> and I think, I totally did this. Um, this is an opportunity. She asks me if I can do another cake in a month for a birthday party. And I think, yes. And then I think, no. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Christine. Next up is Matthew Dix. Matthew is a powerhouse of a storyteller. He's a 39-time Moth Story Slam champion and a six-time Grand Slam champion whose stories have been featured on their nationally syndicated Moth Radio Hour and their weekly podcast. His story was from our November 2016 show, and the theme was Things You Put in Your Mouth. I'm sitting in the dining room of my girlfriend's parents' home. I'm eating a cookie. My girlfriend, Lisa, is talking to me, but I'm not listening to anything she's saying. I'm staring at the door, the front door. I'm waiting. I am waiting for her father to walk in. I'm a 19-year-old boy getting ready to meet his girlfriend's father for the first time, and I am terrified. And then the door opens, and he walks in, and I stand up, and we meet in the middle and I reach out to shake his hand. And as his hand closes over mine, I can feel the, the roughness of his skin and the calluses. I can see the grease and the dirt in his fingernails. It's like being squeezed by a Brillo pad. <laughs> These are like hands that make things and fix things. Like this is a man who knows how to like repair plumbing and slide under a car and remove an oil pan. Like, he's the kind of guy who can take down a tree and then put it back up if necessary. <laughs> and I know that this is bad for me because I don't have those hands. Like, my hands are hands that play Miss Pac-Man at the arcade on Fridays. <laughs> my hands are hands that roll like 20-sided dice on card tables and basements while playing Dungeons and Dragons. I have hands that play the flute. My hands like write scathing editorials about vice principals and read Shel Silverstein when no one's looking. Like, these are not hands that make and fix. These are hands that purchase and replace. <laughs> and I know that we're not going to get along because this has already happened to me. Before I loved Lisa, I loved Laura. She was my high school girlfriend. And the same thing happened. I met Le Laura's father in his driveway amidst a dump truck and a bucket truck and what I later learned was a stump grinder. <laughs> Laura's father was named Butch and he was the dictionary definition of that word. When I met him, I said, what do you do for a living, Butch? And he said, whatever needs to be done. <laughs> and it was true. Butch did everything and anything that needed to be done. Like shaking Butch's hand was like reaching into a bag full of broken glass. And it didn't go well for me and Butch. He never liked me. There was a snow day when I rode my 10-speed through the snowstorm to see Laura because no one was home. And when Laura and I were done with our visit, I rode my 10-speed back home. And on the way home, Butch drove his dump truck past me. 
he saw me and realized where I was coming from, so he spun his dunk truck around the road, chased me down, and then cut me off. And in this blinding snowstorm, he came down out of the cab, and he let me have it. Like man to boy, he destroyed me. I would have peed my pants, but my bladder was too frightened to move. <laughs> and ultimately, it was really that that cost Laura and I like any kind of relationship in the future, because as much as she did love me, she respected and admired her father more than any woman I've ever met in my life. And I am not a man who can do whatever needs to be done. I am a man who can hire someone who, that needs to be done. And, and I knew I was never going to be right for Laura, but I want to be right for Lisa, so I'm going to make this work. And I'm already in trouble, because Lisa's father is a car guy. I, like six months ago, I had a 1976 Chevy Malibu with a 350 V8. I don't know what 350 V8 means, except I know that car guys like to hear those numbers. But I have gotten rid of that car, and I now have a Toyota Tercel, powder blue. When he sees my powder blue Toyota Tercel, I swear he wants to punch me in the face. And he asks me where I live, and I tell him Attleboro, Massachusetts, but I can never bring him there because I live in an insane location. I live in a townhouse that has walls covered with Bart Simpson posters and posters of half-naked women and posters of 80s metal bands. We have two rabbits that run around our house like cats and use the litter box because we thought this would attract women, which it actually does. And we, had like, we have like 20 hamsters positioned all over the house with tubes connecting all of the rooms. It's like steampunk hamsterville in my house. So like wherever you are, there is a hamster over your head. I can't bring this man with these hands to this crazy place, to this terrible thing. And I'm also a McDonald's manager. And I know it is the hardest job I will ever do in my life. But in his mind, it is flipping burgers. And so I am way behind right from the beginning. But I decide, I'm going to have a plan. This is going to work. And so he's Portuguese, so I decide I'm going to learn everything I can about Portugal, which in 1992 is a thing. Like, you have to go to a brick building, and you have to pull out a card, and you have to find a book. And that book is not equipped with, like, Control-F. You have to read the whole fucking thing to find, like, the one thing that you want in that book. And so I learned about, like, the age ex exploration. I learned everything about Portugal. And then one day I'm at his house, I find this giant hutch of rabbits. He collects rabbits, and I've got rabbits, and now they're chewing through the cords, so we don't have a TV anymore, because they cut right through it. And like, we've already, we're down one lamp, and so I say, I love my rabbits, but I'm like, I love these rabbits, but I can't keep them. Do you want to take them? And he says, yes. And when I pass my rabbits over to this man, it is like we take a step closer together. It is a beautiful thing. And then when... Lisa decides she doesn't want her Ford Bronco anymore and she wants to replace it with a Chevy Cavalier, which is actually a shittier car than the one I actually own because she doesn't trust the Bronco. Normally, I would side with the girlfriend because sex is at stake, but I'm playing the long game. And so I decide to side with the father. I'm like, yeah, you're right. She's crazy. And I know it's going to cost me sex, but in the long run, he's going to like me. And that's better. And he does. He really we kind of come closer together in a way I've never come closer to a girlfriend's father before. And then he invites me to Thanksgiving. And I think I've done it. Like, this is amazing. And I haven't had a Thanksgiving for two years. My Thanksgivings are like the Dallas Cowboys and Domino's and Despair. So this is like a thing for me. And so I go to Thanksgiving and I sit down right next to him. It is almost like having a father for the first time in my life. And it's a real Thanksgiving. There is turkey and there's 
vegetables and there's breads and there's stews and I am sitting there and I'm eating with him and he turns to me and says, what do you think about the stew I made? And I tell him, it's great. And he tells me, you should like it. It's your rabbit. <laughs> and I will find out later that all those rabbits in the hut she sells to restaurants because the Portuguese love to eat rabbit. And he is smiling at me because he thinks it is funny that he has tricked me into eating my pet rabbit. And I turn to Lisa to see if she's in on it, and she's just as appalled as I am. And there is a moment of silence that probably lasts three seconds, but it feels like it lasts three years while I stare at this man who's done this thing to me. And then I stand up, and I let him have it. A 19-year-old man stands up and tells this man what a terrible thing he's done. I swear at his kitchen table. And then I stand up and I walk out the door and leave. I still can't fix a car in any way whatsoever. I cannot take down a tree. I don't know how to operate a stump grinder. I, these hands are as soft today as they were back then. But that is the moment, that is the day that I become a man. It is the first time that me as a man speaks to another man and lets him know exactly how I feel. I leave that house a changed person. I leave that house a man. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew Dix, who, by the way, literally wrote the book on storytelling. It's called Storyworthy. And whether you want to get as good at this as he is, or if you could just use one great tip for connecting with people, get this book. I've read it twice, and I'll probably be learning from it for the rest of my life. And if you want to see him live in between mouth-off shows, of course, along with his wife, Alicia, Matthew runs Speak Up, a Hartford-based storytelling organization. Their shows sell out all the time, so find them and get tickets to whatever they're doing next as soon as you can. And they have a podcast, too, where they feature stories from their show, and they talk about what worked and what didn't. So look up Speak Up and subscribe. As Mark Twain said, I like a good story well told. That's the reason I'm sometimes forced to tell them myself. Tell your story at one of our live shows. Dates, themes, tickets, and swag are at marktwainhouse.org slash mouthoff. At that site, you'll also see all the other cool stuff Twain has going on, in addition to funny and really fascinating house tours. Twain's tradition of storytelling continues, with writing classes and workshops, chances to write in Mark Twain's library, and the popular Mark My Words series, where authors from around the world come to talk about how current issues are colliding with their work, Follow The Twain House on Facebook and sign up for the newsletter at marktwainhouse.org. The Mouth Off is hosted and produced by me, Kion Wolf, with help from Jennifer LaRue. Learn about my other shows at kionwolf.com, on Twitter and Instagram at Kion Wolf, on Facebook at Kion Wolf Productions, and you can be a part of fueling all of this at patreon.com slash Wolf. Imagine the story you'll tell about being a sponsor for The Mouth Off podcast. For rates, email mouthoffhartford at gmail.com. All right, till next time, whatever happens, make it a good story. Bye.